0: As Justin mentioned, we have a new theme for the year that we uh, mentioned last Sunday at Vision Sunday. Uh, What a fun time that was. So grateful that we got to be outside, have a service, have the good food, the good fellowship, the fun. It was great. But our theme for this year is Firm Foundation, Gospel Grounded, Always Ready. Okay, so the idea is that this year, we want to equip you, hopefully, more than ever before to be rooted in the gospel, and then to be living out of the gospel in such a way that when you engage the world outside of this walls, you do it with the distinctness of Jesus. So that is the goal for this year. One way we're gonna accomplish that goal is by this new sermon series that we're starting today which is what I've titled Character Studies of the Grounded and Ready, okay? So what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be looking at key characters in the Bible, and we're going to look at how do they engage their world with God's distinctness, right? So we're going to look at Noah's story uh, to, to, to start us off. Now, John Maxwell, he is a leadership guru an author, and he says this, a wise person learns from mistakes, his mistakes. A wiser one learns from others' mistakes, but the wisest person of all learns from others' successes. And so we're going to learn from the failure and the success of Noah today, right? And be a wise person. All right, so you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis 6 or you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to be reading to you verses 5 But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I wonder if Ham was funny. Oh, come on. That that was good. I just came up with that on the spot. That is a dad joke right there. Come on now. Put that in a joke book. (laughs) alright where are we verse 11 the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence so God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth and God said to Noah the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold I will destroy them with the earth make yourself an ark of gopher wood make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch okay so anytime I preach a sermon on a passage you know that I cannot possibly say everything that could be said said about the passage nor do I even know what that is right so but I feel led to mention these things to you and look at these things with you and it's this these are the things so we're gonna check out the human condition we're gonna look at Noah's character and faith we're gonna see how God responds to the human condition and to Noah's character and faith. And then we're gonna consider finally, what should our response be to this passage, okay? So that's where we're headed. Let's start with the human condition. What was the environment that Noah found himself in? What was it like? What was the culture like? Well, the, the verses I read to you describe it in the most darkest terms imaginable. Verse 5 tells us that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Verse 11 tells us that the earth was corrupt before God and it was filled with violence. Now, what these verses are telling us is that there was a rupture in three main relationships that God created humans for. Okay? The first relationship was humans relationship to their creator massive rupture here we see humans doing what they see fit based on their own mind and thinking we see them being the masters of their own lives they've stiff armed God, they've said hey life is better apart from you, I'm going to go do my own thing uh, separated from you I think life will be better, more enjoyable, more fruitful without you, Creator God. The second relationship that ruptured was humans' relationship to one another. Right? The verse tells us that there was violence. Like the culture was marked by violence. And the reason was is because the humans were they wanted what they want when they wanted it and how they wanted it. And they're willing to fight, to feud, to kill, to murder, to lie, steal, cheat, whatever, to get What they wanted. The third relationship we see that ruptured was humans' relationship to the non-human creation. The the scripture tells us that the that the the earth was corrupted, and what that means is that the earth was being ruined. It was unraveling. Even the non-human creation was decaying as a result of the first humans and the subsequent generations after that exploiting it instead of being a steward of it, they were exploiting it for their own selfish purposes. And that's why the Apostle Paul, what does he say in Romans 8? That even creation itself is groaning, longing for redemption. Now, we need to know, it's really easy for us to look down our nose at the people in Noah's day. But apart from God, we're no different. We're, we're corrupt. We're broken. We don't relate to God the way we should. We've all tried to chart our own course, be the captain of our own ship. right? We don't treat people made in his image the way that they should be treated. We don't manage creation, the non-human creation, very well. We are broken like the people knows day. Um, you know, maybe we're, we're a little bit morally upright or better, but look at this. All right, so if you imagine um, a, a land mass here, a land mass here, and there's a whole chasm in between each land mass, right? And there's a massive ocean in the chasm. Let's say like Hitler's, like, let's say like moral perfection's over here, right? And Hitler's drowning like way far in the ocean towards this land mass, right? Uh, the people in Noah's day might be right here. Maybe we're, we were potentially a little bit better morally, but we're still not where we need to be, which means we're still drowning and lost and dead in the ocean, right? Okay, now, what about Noah? What about Noah? Here you have a guy, how did he navigate this? Because the darkness in his day, I would say, was worse than our day. Because we have some people actually in the world today that do love God, that are being changed by him. They're seeking to glorify him. He had nobody else in his day that was doing that. Talk about darkness. How did he navigate it? How did he remain faithful? Let's look at Noah's character and faith. Verse 9 tells us about the quality of Noah's character. And then we get to, and it also tells us about the source of his character and faith. So, first the quality of Noah's character and faith. Noah was a just man, the scripture tells us. Perfect in his generations. Other translations say that Noah was a righteous man. Now, when we hear that word righteous, often what we think of is like some goody two shoes monk that is living in a closet praying and meditating all day long right but that's not what this word means here what this word means is that noah's central orientation to life was toward god it wasn't toward self-fulfillment it wasn't toward amassing glory for himself in an attempt to steal it from god no he was focused and bent on serving his creator giving him the honor that he was due. Noah had a humility that said, God knows best, I don't. Righteousness always also means that he related to the people around him in right ways, that he was kind, he was caring, he was compassionate, loving. Noah was a man of integrity. There was very little gap between what he said was true and what he professed to believe and how he actually lived. In fact, if you, uh, you know, Genesis 6, it ends with this statement, according to all that God commanded him, Noah did. That's a pretty, pretty amazing statement. And if you read in Genesis 7, it repeatedly uh, emphasizes that point that Noah did all that God commanded him to do. Now, was Noah perfect? Was he completely perfect? Was he without sin? The answer, of course, is no, he was not perfect. He was with sin. If you keep reading in Genesis, you will find, in just a little bit, Noah, drunk and naked, lying in a tent. And I, so I didn't know that Country Fest existed in Noah's day. Didn't know. I have to check my commentaries on that. Let's see. So, generally speaking, though, Noah was an upright dude. He generally did the right thing. Was he perfect in every way? No. But generally speaking, he was an honorable person. Um, good news, if you ever find yourself lying naked drunk in a tent, I hope you don't, but if you do, there's hope for you. God has got a God of redemption, right? All right, so what was the source of Noah's character and faith, this this quality that he had? What was the source of it? Well, verse 9 tells us that Noah walked with God. It was his relationship with God. Think about when you walk with a person. I like to go on walks with Mary, although this is true. So usually, though, when we go on walks, I will say I don't like this part. Mary's about trying to get a workout in, and I'm just, trying, I'm just about taking a stroll when I'm walking with her. So there's some conflict there, but we meet in the middle. Okay, anyway, so when, we're, when you walk side by side with the person, you're like you're following the, the, the same cadence, right? You're in rhythm together. You're close to one another, side by side. You can talk and communicate. When Mary and I walk, you know, typically I'm not trying to walk indoors. I'm trying to walk outside because it's beautiful and we're God's creation. And we can have, you know, privacy and we can have, we can focus on one another without interruptions, right? This is what Noah did with God. The Hebrew verb for walked is a distinctive form, the ESV study Bible will tell you, that conveys the sense of ongoing intimacy. Noah had this ongoing intimacy. He walked with God. All right, that was his source of his character and his faith. Okay, now, what was God's response in this passage? How does God respond to sin? How does he respond to evil? What does he do? Well, we see in this passage that God's response to sin is grief, Judgment and grace that leads to salvation. Now, let's look at each one of these in turn, starting with God meets sin with grief. Verse 6 tells us that God was sorry that he had made man on earth. And he was grieved in his heart. Did you know that God has emotions? God is a feeler. Have you ever thought of him that way? That God can experience sorrow, deep, deep sorrow, and it makes perfect sense that God would be full of sorrow. And here's why: because God is a God of love, and love hurts deeply when the object of a person's love, in the person of you know a person's love, is hurt and hurting. Love hurts. It's grieved when it sees what it cares about broken and unraveling. Um, to see creation completely unravel into darkness was heartbreaking for God. If God was unmoved emotionally by it, and he was just indifferent, and it was like, eh, could we say that God is a God of love? No. Think about it. If Mary or the boys are doing something that is hurting them or hurting other people, I am going to be deeply grieves. Why? Because I love them. Alright, so God meets sin and evil with grief. Secondly, he meets it with judgment. Now, God's judgment is one of those doctrines, those beliefs about Christianity that Christianity holds to that is troubling to us Americans. And I'm going to tell you it shouldn't be. Because it is so critical. Let me help you see why. All right, verse 7, God said, I will destroy man whom I created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I've made them. We typically omit this part when we're teaching kids, right? The Noah story. Um, maybe that's a good thing. Um, especially, have you ever read the Bible to your kids, like, before bed? And you're like, oh, geez, this is kind of dark. Uh, I've got to stop. They're going to have nightmares. It's happened to us. All right, so here's the thing you need to know about judgment, God's judgment, and why it's so important. God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. He cannot do it. He cannot turn a blind eye to evil. Why? Because he is holy. He is good. He is loving. God's judgment is God's justice in action. That's what it is. I mean, think about a judge here in Maslin. You have a judge here in Maslin, and he lets the guilty go unpunished. That's what he does. That's his mode of operation. We would not say he is a good judge, nor would we want him in his position. We'd say, remove him. Because evil would just be even more out of control in our city than than what it is. Now, you need to know this. Uh, Miroslav Volf is a writer, and he went through the genocide in Croatia. And um, he talks about how uh, American society feels like God should never judge. And to many Americans, you know, love means you just always let things go. But he says, Wolf says, if you, only only people (laughs) who live in the suburbs all their life and never experience true injustice think this way. Um, He said, because he watched uh, his, his parents murdered, when you've watched family and friends murder, when you watch your parents have their thro- throats slit, then the only way you can keep from it driving you insane is by knowing that there is a God who will one day bring justice. He, he said, upon coming to America, he discovered a deeply held American myth that a belief in a God of judgment leads you to be violent. He said exactly the opposite. If you believe in a God who is all love and no justice, you will seethe and rage with vengeance and end up taking matters into your own hands. Only when you believe that God will one day execute perfect justice can you lay the sword down and be free from hatred and bitterness and the driving desire to avenge the wrong. Do you see what Volt is saying? only way you're going to overcome deep things, hurt happening to you, is if you believe that God will right all wrongs, that he will execute perfect justice in time. It's the only way you can let go of vengeance. We were on vacation, and we met a family from Russia. And I asked, well, what part of Russia are you from? maripol If you've followed that conflict, that city completely just obliterated and she just said and her parents didn't even speak English it's genocide it's genocide do you think I can tell her that you know God he, he's okay he's not going to punish the guilty no God will make sure that justice is executed the thing about God's wrath and his anger against evil is it's not the capricious fly off the handle kind of anger that we often exhibit exhibit right that is just it's 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 selfish anger it is we're 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 punishing beyond what the crime is and we are just controlled by our emotions no oh, god you need to know it's like Look at God's patience in this passage. It's been 10 generations since the first human sinned. And God has patiently withheld judgment for 10 generations. The grace in that. And think about that he waited to the point where all of human's thoughts were only continually evil. And then he did something about it. God is slow to become angry. He is patient. He is kind, he is compassionate, he is loving, he is merciful, but he is just. And one day, uh, justice had to come in the beginning of Genesis. Okay, all right, now, where am I at here? So, the third thing, God meets sin with grace that leads to salvation. Verse 8 states that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is unmerited favor, right? Um, although Noah was a stand up guy, especially compared to the people of his generation, uh, he was still with sin, as I had mentioned. And so, now, why did God pick Noah to save? Was it just like this arbitrary selection? Was it, you know, this random thing? Was it because Noah was just this amazing God? No, the verse clearly says. That Noah, he was given grace, the unmerited favor. The the that's why God selected him. Now, um, Noah was selected by God because he put his faith in God, right? So he that's why he was saved is because he put his faith in God. Um, he trusted God, and that's why Noah was saved by God. Um, Now, so God, he provided a way for people that would turn to him in faith to be um, saved from that judgment of the flood. Okay, what should our response be to this passage? Let me just offer a a few things to you here quickly. First, Noah-like character and faith comes from walking with God. If we are going to have the faith and distinctness of Jesus, we have to walk with him. And so I want to ask you this morning, like, do you walk with God? Do you have time uninterrupted, undistracted, unhurried time with God? And then do you have time where, and do you have this ongoing conversation with God throughout your day? That's what it means to walk with God. This is how Noah was able to manage in a a dark time. There are no two habits more atomic than the habits of A, consisted undistracted and unhurried time speaking and listening to God, and B, a running conversation with God as we walk through our day with him. The compound effects of these two habits are just, they just create Noah-like character, faith, and grit. All right. Now, second, no matter how spiritually mature we become, we are still capable of committing major sin. Noah was more upright than we probably ever will be, and yet he still was capable of serious sin. And so we are never more susceptible to sin in our life than when we think we are unsusceptible. And so, if you look around and you see people sinning and you think, oh my goodness, I would never do that. That's a warning sign. Look out. Because you are super susceptible at that point to committing sin in your own life. Um, The third thing. We get to decide whether we experience God's judgment or God's saving grace. Do you know that? It's your decision what you're going to experience. You can experience Jesus as a lamb now, or you can experience him as a lion later. You get to experience, you get to decide what, what's going to happen to you. Um, Hebrews eleven seven 7 tells us, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, Prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Again, Noah was saved because he placed his faith in God and God's ability to save him through the means God determined, which was an ark. Okay? Noah's faith, right? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's true. Now, the question is. For you, um, have you decided to put your trust in God in the means he has determined to save you from the coming judgment? Because the, Jesus taught the final judgment is coming. And he actually compared it to the days of Noah and what happened with the flood. Check this out, Matthew 24, 37-39. we get to make a decision. How, do we make, how, how, how can we be like Noah here? We need to believe what Jesus said is true. We need to believe that a final judgment is coming. We need to believe it. Jesus is going to return. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And he's going to usher in a new heavens and new earth. Do you believe that? Second, we must place our trust, our faith in God and his means that he has determined to save us through and by. What does that mean? Well, the new ark that God is going to save people from the judgment that is coming is Jesus himself. He is the new ark. How do you enter into Jesus, the new ark, so that you'll be saved from the coming flood of God's judgment? Well, you place your trust in him. Just like Noah was surrendered to God and here I am. And I'm, I'm yours and I'm going to follow you even when it may not make sense. I'm yours. We do that with Jesus. We surrender to Him. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Right? And when we do that, here's the thing that becomes true of us Jesus' death is credited to our account. The reason that we can escape the floodwaters of judgment that is to come, and we can be lifted above them, is because Jesus was already submerged into the waters of God's judgment when He was on the cross. He took on all of God's wrath and anger and justice towards, our, towards us and our sin. He bore it all. In the waters of God's wrath and justice, they beat against them, just like the waters of the flood back in Genesis 6 beat against the ark at that time. But this time, it ripped Jesus' body, right? He took it all in. Why? Why? So that we could be sheltered from God's justice, so that only mercy remains for us, so that we could be made right with God. Do you believe what Jesus said is true? Have you trusted your life to Him? Have you trusted Him to be your Savior and Lord? You get to decide whether you experience God's saving grace or whether you're going to experience His judgment. Now, one last thing. Why has God not returned yet in Jesus Christ? Why has the final judgment not come yet? 2 Peter 3:9 tells us the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. God's wrath, his justice, his judgment, he, it's all so self-controlled. Not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Why does God want everyone to come to repentance? Well, Ezekiel 33, 11 tells us, as, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? God is not a God who just like, you know, as some people perceive him to be like this God that's way up there that just loves to crush people for the fun of it. No. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure. When you punish your children, is that enjoyable? No. Who likes to do that? If you like to do that, something's wrong with you as a parent, it's never fun. Okay? But is it necessary? Yes. Would you be a good parent if you did it? No. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful that you are a new and better ark. That entering into you through repentance and faith is how we can uh, be shielded and protected and guarded from the judgment that is to come. Thank you that you are a God of wrath and judgment. Thank you that you will not let evil and suffering and pain persist indefinitely, but that you um, have defeated the worst that evil could possibly throw at you on the cross. And when you return, you will banish it from your world forever, never to be seen again. We long for that day. We long for that day where justice is the, the, the water we swim in, where joy and celebration and wholeness and healing and restoration and reconciliation among people is the water we swim in. Thank you that you are willing to take on the waters of judgment in our place so that we could receive mercy. So we could be made right in your sight. Lord, I am asking if there's anybody here that has not entered into you the new and better ark through repentance and faith, that they would not perish, that they would see their need to repent, to believe, to surrender their life to you so that they are safe from what is to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.